Hey, this is Dave DeCamp from Antiwar.com. This is Antiwar News for Thursday, April 20th, 2023. All right, the first story at the top of Antiwar.com today. The Justice Department indicts four Americans for their political views on Russia. So the Justice Department has indicted four Americans who are members of the African People's Socialist Party and the Uhuru Movement over their political views on Russia. And this step, of course, has very grave implications for First Amendment rights. So the allegation against these Americans is that they were involved in a foreign malign influence campaign directed by Russia's Federal Security Service, the FSB. The DOJ also indicted three Russians related to the case, including Alexander Ionov, who was initially charged last year. So this Russian Ionov is a Moscow resident who founded the Anti-Globalization Movement of Russia, the AGMR, which is a non-governmental organization, an NGO. So the DOJ claims that this guy used this organization to conduct what they call Russia's malign influence campaign and recruited Americans to spread Russian propaganda. The indictment alleges that the Russians were involved in a 2019 local election in St. Petersburg, Florida, which is one city where this this black socialist group, APSP, is based. So this quote from... Uh, General Matthew G. Olson, he's an assistant attorney general, is really something what he says here. He says, quote, Russia's foreign intelligence service allegedly weaponized our First Amendment rights, freedoms Russia denies its own citizens, to divide Americans and interfere in elections in the United States, end quote. So saying that they weaponize the First Amendment and that they deny these freedoms in Russia, so... In response to that, the U.S. is denying these freedoms to these four Americans. It's a very uh, serious, uh, you know, thing that's happening here. So, if you remember last year, it was over the summer, I believe. Uh, the APSP, this socialist group, they were raided by the FBI, and it was over their connections to this Russian NGO. So, Omali Yeshitela, who's the leader of the APSP. He was indicted by the day. He was one of the Americans indicted by the DOJ. He pointed out after the raid that his group has worked with organizations around the world for decades. This group has been around for a long time. And we actually published an article that he wrote on antiwar.com back in March. So he said, quote, at our first party Congress held in Oakland, California in 1981, we received solidarity statements from organizations and governments from around the world. This helps to give lie to the notion that our connection to a Russian NGO is evidence of an illicit relationship that we would have with a foreign power, end quote. So Yeshitela strongly denied that his group was working for Russia, and they appear to have been targeted simply for their political beliefs. I can't think of any other reason why they would, uh, you know, the DOJ would try to do something like this. So the APSP has expressed support for Russia, and they denounced uh, U.S. involvement in Ukraine. But this group has been speaking out against U.S. foreign policy since it was formed way back in 1972. So this is nothing new for them. And Yeshitela himself is 81 years old. He's been doing this a long time. 
So he said in this article that he expected to be indicted and that the government would likely use the Foreign Agents Registration Act, the FARA uh, law, which requires people uh, acting on behalf of a foreign of a foreign government uh, to register with the DOJ. But it's really a bogus law that's wasn't used for decades and decades and is used very selectively. And now, uh, you know, since tensions have been high with Russia, they've been looking to use it more. So Yeshitela wrote, quote, this is selective prosecution. The American Israel Public Affairs Committee and other Israeli lobbying organizations are seemingly immune from prosecution under the Farah law, despite their obvious public function as agents of the Israeli government, end quote. So when I first read that, you know, when I was looking all this stuff over, I thought he made a mistake there. I thought, no, the APAC, you know, looking at this law, you know, they must uh, be registered as a foreign agent, but apparently they're not, which is really unbelievable, even though they act on the behalf uh, of, of foreign powers interests. They claim all their donations are private. So the fact that they're going after them and they don't, you know, make lobby groups like APAC register, I mean, it's really... Uh, ridiculous and the indictment does not mention Farah, but it says or the, sorry the press release at least that the doj put out doesn't mention Farah, but says the americans and russians are charged with quote conspiring to have u.s citizens act as illegal agents of the russian government within the united states without providing prior notification to the attorney general as required by law end quote if convicted they face up to five years in prison and then yeshitela and two other americans are also charged with acting as agents of Russia, which carries a maximum penalty of up to, up to 10 years in prison. So they're looking at some serious time for, for, for their political activism. That's all this seems to be. You know, I, I didn't read the whole indictment, but according you know what I read from the press release, they're not alleging much. They're alleging that they had contact with this Russian guy and he told them some things to say about the, the invasion of Ukraine in an email, which, I mean, there's nothing illegal there. And even if he is FSB, I mean, how would they know, you know, if, if he's acting covertly as an intelligence agent, th there's no way they, they could know that. Uh, but, you know, we haven't seen any, any evidence that he is, so we can't take their word for it. It does. This just seems like they're going after this group, uh, you know, kind of to make a to set a precedent here. That, I mean, you know, you think about the precedent that could be set. I mean, as a lot of writers sometimes you know, we get asked to write articles for, you know, last year I was asked to write an article for a Japanese website. And, you know, I said, sure, that sounds great. And I wrote it and they paid me a little bit. And I didn't look into them that much. Who knows? Could they have been tied to a foreign intelligence agency? Uh, probably not because they didn't pay me much. But, you know, you just never know. This could really uh, set things up that they can really go after uh, anybody that they want. And because this group, you know, they're a black socialist liberation group, they might seem really radical to a lot of people. I think it's really important for us to stick up for them, you know, no matter what you think about their beliefs, because this is such a serious uh, indictment here. All right. Uh, the next one here, the U.S. announces $325 million arms package for Ukraine. So the Pentagon on Wednesday announced a new $325 million arms package for Ukraine that includes ammunition for the HIMARS rocket systems and anti-tank weapons. The weapons are being provided to Ukraine through the Presidential Drawdown Authority, which allows President Biden to send arms to Kiev directly from Pentagon stockpiles. The funds are being drawn from the $45 billion aid bill Congress passed in December, which is expected to be exhausted by the summer. 
To date, the U.S. has authorized about $113 billion in spending on the war. So again, this new $325 million, it's still being drawn from the aid they've already approved. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if soon if we see the White House request more money to spend on this war. So according to the Pentagon, this new package includes ammunition for the HIMARS, 155 and 105-millimeter artillery rounds, tube-launched optically-tracked wire-guided tow missiles, uh, AT-4 anti-armor weapon systems, anti-tank mines, demolition munitions for obstacle clearing, over 9 million rounds of small arms ammunition, four logistics support vehicles, precision aerial munitions, testing and diagnostic equipment to support vehicle maintenance and repair, port and harbor security equipment, spare parts and other field equipment. The Pentagon also released a fact sheet on Wednesday that details the enormous amount of military aid the U.S. has provided Ukraine. It says the Biden administration has committed more than $36.1 billion in military equipment, and that's just what they're telling us about. And that includes $35.4 billion that has been pledged since Russia invaded last year on February 24th. So, uh, you know, more ammunition and weapons heading Ukraine's way. All right, the next one here, this is from Kyle Anzalone over at the Libertarian Institute. Uh, NATO sends Patriot missile defense systems to Ukraine. So Kiev has received the Patriot air defense systems from the U.S. and Germany. Ukraine's defense minister, Alexei Reznikov, confirmed on Twitter. So while Kiev has only received a limited number of advanced interceptors, Reznikov said that Ukraine has realized its dream. He said on Twitter, quote, Today our beautiful Ukrainian sky becomes more secure because Patriot air defense systems have arrived in Ukraine. Our air defenders have mastered them as fast as they could, end quote. He thanked the U.S. and Germany and the Netherlands for transferring the Patriots. Reznikov said that the air defense systems fulfilled a dream that he was told was impossible. So I guess he had uh, quite the dream there. And then German media reports that Ukraine will only receive one launcher from each the U.S. and Germany, and the, ne the Netherlands is sending missiles and spare parts. So that's not that, that much. Last month, the Pentagon said that 65 Ukrainian soldiers training in the U.S. had become proficient on the platform ahead of schedule, allowing Washington to ship the missile defense system to Ukraine earlier than expected. Um, so they got the, those. And the Ukrainians, again, they were training in the U.S. at a base in Oklahoma. All right, the next one here, more tough talk on China. An admiral says that the U.S. must be prepared to fight China. So Admiral John Aquilino He's the commander of U.S. Indo-Pacific Command, which is responsible for a pretty huge chunk of the world. Stretches from India to Hawaii, down to Australia, up to the Koreas. Uh, so he said he told Congress on Tuesday that the U.S. must be ready to fight and win a war against China over Taiwan. He told a House Armed Services Committee hearing, quote, I'm responsible for finding a way to prevent this conflict today. And if deterrence were to fail, to be able to fight and win, end quote. So the comments are the latest example of U.S. military officials speaking openly about the fact that they're preparing for war with China. U.S. Army Secretary Christine Warmuth also said recently that the U.S. must be ready to beat China in a war in the Asia Pacific by beefing up its military presence in the region. Aquilino pushed back against other U.S. military leaders who have tried to predict when China might attack Taiwan, saying that they were just guessing. 
So his predecessor, Admiral Philip Davidson, said in 2021 that China could invade in six to 10 years. More recently, Air Force General Mike Minihan, who's the commander of Air Mobility Command, said in a memo to his officers that the U.S. and China could be at war in 2025. He says the timeline doesn't matter. He's getting prepared either way. So Aquilino and other U.S. officials maintain that they must increase support for Taiwan. That's the deterrence, both militarily and diplomatically. And as I'm always going on about... (laughs) It's pretty clear from China's actions that the more U.S. support, you know, if you just look at, you know, the past couple of years, the U.S. has been increasing support for Taiwan and China has been increasing military pressure. So I think that should tell us um, something. All right. The next one here, the House China Committee to war game a Chinese invasion of Taiwan. So the House's new panel on China will be war gaming a Chinese invasion of Taiwan to explore ways the U.S. can respond in the latest example of the U.S. government preparing for a future conflict with Beijing. Axios reported that on Wednesday evening, members of the China Committee, which is led by Representative Mike Gallagher, Republican from Wisconsin, they said they will take the role of U.S. officials in the war game that will be conducted by a Center for New American Security, CNAS, very hawkish think tank that receives funding from U.S. arms makers, and also, like a lot, a lot of think tanks do, they receive money from the Taiwanese government through the Taipei Economic and Cultural Representative Office, which is Taiwan's de facto embassy. Um, so they said the war games were happening Wednesday evening. I'm recording this late Wednesday night. I haven't seen if there's been any news about how they went. Um, but it's just really, I mean, this is something, just the fact that Congress is war gaming to, to prepare for a war with China. I mean, I think it really goes to show, you know, the uh, the the, just the direction that we're headed. Um, all right, where was I here? Oh, so just speaking of this think tank, CNS, which is kind of like the neocon think tank today, several members of the Biden administration came from there, including Kurt Campbell, who's a co-founder of the think tank, and he now serves as President Biden's top Asia official on the National Security Council. So if this war did break out, he would be making a lot of uh, decisions on the National Security Council, I'm sure. China hawks in Congress argue that the U.S. must continue. So again, I just make the point about deterrence because Gallagher said before these war games, quote, we need to be moving heaven and earth to enhance our deterrence and denial posture so that Xi Jinping concludes that he just can't do it, end quote. Um, So we'll see what. Uh, comes out of this, but I just think it really shows where their mind is at. All right, the next one here, Representative Thomas Massey is working against the TikTok ban. So this is good to see. Massey, the Republican from Kentucky, is urging Republican leadership not to pursue legislation designed to ban TikTok. So in comments to Axios, Massey expressed opposition to the Restrict Act, which is a piece of legislation introduced in the Senate. It's received more than 20 bipartisan co-sponsors. It's supported by the White House. The bill does not mention TikTok, but it would give the Commerce Secretary sweeping powers to crack down on tech. If you remember when I went over that, it's very vague uh, authorities. Basically, anything that it seems like the Commerce Secretary determines is you know a threat to national security or, or decides uh, is something like that that they could take action against. 
So it's a pretty serious bill. So Massey said, quote, I've communicated very politely to our leadership here that if you ever try to bring a bill like that here, we're going to have even more problems in this chamber, end quote. So the libertarian-leaning Kentucky congressman said that he is part of uh, what he called a populist revolt against the Restrict Act. He said it's not just libertarians who are against it. So Massey called the legislation an excuse to grow the government. He said that he has no affinity for TikTok, but says that the cure is worse than the disease. So over in the Senate, another Kentucky Republican has been leading the charge against the TikTok ban, and that's Rand Paul, who uh, was been really good on this issue. He blocked a bill introduced by Josh Hawley that would have just banned TikTok. It would have prohibited downloading the app on people's phones in the United States. And he, again, he, he was really good. He delivered a great floor speech. He wrote this op-ed about it. Really, the allegation against TikTok is that, oh, they're owned by a Chinese company. That means the Chinese government can have access to our data. And Rand Paul makes the point uh, that the fact that the company has been very cooperative and they appointed this new board to oversee this data stuff and they're really playing ball with the U.S. government and, you know, is just going to make uh, make them like all the other apps that that'll, you know, that are in the United States that censor things that the U.S. government doesn't want to see. That's what it's turning into on TikTok. And um they're, they're you know, giving all these guarantees about the data, saying it's stored in the U.S. Because, as Rand Paul points out, they just want to make money. They're just another, uh, you know, tech company, social media company that's just looking to make money. And they all, you know, vacuum up our data. And that's, uh, you know, we're the product for them. And, uh, you know, when writing about this, I always have to mention the fact that we know that the NSA has backdoor access to data from Facebook, Google, Apple, Microsoft, basically all this stuff that we use, thanks to the Edward Snowden leaks. Um, so that's that. But again, it's good to see more dissent from, uh, from Massey on this. All right, the next one here, uh, RFK Jr., Robert F. Kennedy Jr. launches his presidential bid and he vows to unwind the U.S. empire. So on Wednesday, on Wednesday, RFK Jr. launched his presidential bid to challenge President Biden in the 2024 Democratic primary and vowed to begin unwinding the American empire. So in a speech announcing his run, Kennedy questioned President Biden's motives in Ukraine and said that it appeared the administration wanted to prolong the war. He said Ukraine was being treated as a pawn between two great powers. He also called for a scaling down of the U.S. military presence around the globe. I put in a video that uh, Max Blumenthal posted on Twitter. It is a little thread of some of his foreign policy speech that uh, looked pretty good. Uh, Kennedy's campaign website details his foreign policy vision. It says, quote, as president, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. will start the process of unwinding empire. We will bring the troops home. We will stop racking up unpayable debt to fight one war after another. The military will return to its proper role of defending the homeland. We will end the proxy wars, bombing campaigns, covert operations, coups, paramilitaries, and everything else that has become so normal. Most people don't know it's happening, but it is happening, a constant drain on our strength, end quote. So concerning Ukraine, the website says, quote, the most important priority is to end the suffering of the Ukrainian people, victims of a brutal Russian invasion, and also victims of American geopolitical um, 
mechanisms going back at least to 2014, end quote, referring to the U.S. backing the coup that ousted Yanukovych. It says that Kennedy would try diplomacy and offer concessions to Russia, including an offer to withdraw U.S. troops and nuclear-capable missiles from Russia's border. Kennedy is starting the race with a uh, with the support of 14% of voters who backed President Biden in 2020, according to a USA Today Suffolk University poll. The poll says that only 67% of the people who voted for Biden in 2020 plan to support him against his current Democratic challengers. So this will be interesting to see, and I think it's good that we'll get this sort of conversation uh, on the Democratic side because the Democrats have been particularly bad when it comes to this war in Ukraine. So I think uh, Kennedy's going to make a lot of noise and get us talking about you know, the real U.S. interests in this conflict. All right. Uh, the next one here, U.S. and Australia to hold their largest ever military exercise. The U.S. and Australia will hold the largest ever iteration of their bilateral military exercise known as Talisman Sabre, which takes place every two years. So we hear this all the time. The largest ever drills, you know, the U.S. and the Philippines are conducting their largest ever U.S. and South Korea later this year doing their largest ever live fire drills. The U.S. and Israel recently did their what was called their largest ever military drills. I mean, I think it just really goes to show how things are ramping up just all over the world. So this is the 10th iteration of this talisman saber. It will be held from July 22nd to August 4th, and it will involve 30,000 troops. A lot of countries are participating, including Japan, South Korea, New Zealand, Papua New Guinea. Fiji, Indonesia, Tonga, France, Britain, Canada, and Germany. Representatives from the Philippines, Singapore, and Thailand will also attend as observers. So Brigadier Damien Hill, he's an Australian officer directing the drills. He said, quote, Talisman Sabre 2023 will be the largest ever iteration of the exercise in terms of both geographic span and also partner nation involvement. This year's exercise will demonstrate our ability to receive large volumes of personnel and equipment into Australia from across the Indo-Pacific and stage, integrate, and move them forward into the large exercise area, end quote. So the plans for the massive exercises comes after the U.S., Australia, and Britain unveiled their plans under the AUKUS military pact with the ultimate goal of Canberra being able to produce nuclear-powered submarines by the 2040s, so it's a long way off, but it's a pretty ambitious plan, and the U.S. Navy envisions that this will turn Australia into a full-service submarine hub for the U.S. and its allies in the region. In operations, of course, targeted at China. This is, even though you, know, you look at a map, Australia is pretty far from China, but you know it's in their hemisphere. This is what this is all about. And as part of the deepening U.S.-Australian military ties, the U.S. also plans to deploy more troops and aircraft to uh, Australia, including nuclear-capable B-52 bombers. All right, the last one here, just another update on Sudan. There was another attempted ceasefire on Wednesday, uh, but it looks like that fell apart too. This is from Al Jazeera. A new ceasefire attempt between Sudanese troops and paramilitary forces in Khartoum have so far been unsuccessful, heightening concerns over diminishing food provisions and a breakdown of essential medical services. The 24-hour ceasefire lobbied by countries trying to evacuate their citizens after days of conflict 
was supposed to come into effect at 6 p.m. local time. However, eyewitnesses in Khartoum said fighting has continued on Wednesday. Uh, so that is not good. The fighting's still going on, and it seems like some pretty brutal uh, stuff going on there. Um, you know, I saw somebody point out on Twitter that Russia, I forgot, they were going to build a, they just um, agreed with the government of Sudan. I forget the guy's name, and I got to really get better on this country here, but Russia was going to build a new base in Sudan on the Red Sea there. So, um, you know, the U.S. definitely isn't happy about that. But who knows? I'm not sure, you know, if the U.S. is involved in this. And I haven't really seen them pick a side or anything, of course. They're just calling for the fighting to stop. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they don't have in an interest in what's happening. Uh, but that's it for the news. You can go check out our viewpoints. We have one from Medea Benjamin and Nicholas J.S. Davies. Leaks reveal reality behind U.S. propaganda in Ukraine. One from Josea Thire, the CIA, AQAP, and the never-ending excuse to bomb Yemen about how, you know, unfortunately, as this war between the Houthis and the Saudis seems to be over, seems to be winding down at least, you know, the U.S. did just launch a few drone strikes against Al-Qaeda, so the U.S. is always going to have an excuse to bomb Yemen. Uh, one from Jeffrey Lafredo and Max Blumenthal over at the Gray Zone. The I ICC's Putin arrest warrant based on State Department funded report that debunked itself. One from Jonathan Cook. Will crisis plagued Netanyahu start a war to save his skin? And one from Branko Marchteach over at Jacobin. After the Ukraine documents leak, mainstream media is missing the story. Uh, but that's everything. You could always support us at antiwar.com slash donate, uh, like, and subscribe on YouTube and Odyssey and Rumble. I figured out Rumble. If I live stream the show, everything should be good. So, um, yeah, that's that. Uh, I appreciate everything. I'll be back tomorrow with some more news. Thanks for listening. <laughs>